The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast and are presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today, bet $100, and get $100 at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet, sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. State restrictions apply. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It's currently Tuesday, January 17th, and it's time to go through the second round of the Australian Open and going through some of the plays that we like the most. It's kind of round one and a half because they didn't actually finish the first round yet. There were a bunch of delays, whether it was a heat delay or a rain delay. Some first round matches didn't officially end yet, but for the sake of my picks, first of all, I'm the host, Scott Rachel, as always, going solo, actually, for this pod. Uh, recapping quickly, my picks from the first round didn't do that great, basically broke even. Uh, still have Gasquet money line. That match just started, so hopefully he ends up coming through for us. As for Sam, he was phenomenal. He ended up sweeping the lock and dog segment, had the over in the Humphen match, which went to five sets and went over, and then he had Tommy Paul alt spread against Struff, and he ended up dominating as Paul won that match in straight sets. Uh, but looking at uh, my lock, I had Kyrgios minus five and a half. He ended up not playing. Uh, that got voided because Kyrgios discovered a small tear in his knee, and as a result, he had to withdraw from the event. And I believe Dennis Kudla got the uh, lucky loser uh, fill-in spot. So ended up not having action on the lock. For my dog, I was torn between two. I went for the big one. I picked Krajinovic against Rune. He got destroyed. That wasn't even close. The other dog that I took on the show in the five picks that I, I gave out was uh, Lestien against uh, Montero, and Lestien won in straight set. So if you ended up betting all the picks that I gave out, you basically chopped. But if you took Sam's picks, you did very, very well for yourself. So overall, shout out to Sam for basically carrying... But I basically broke even and hopefully we'll end up sweeping for the second round. Now, once again, we don't have all the official matchups in the second round because some of the first round matchups didn't end yet and play was suspended in a couple. But either way, we're going to deal with what we have and talk about some of the matches and plays that I like the most. But I do want to actually break down some of the matches in general uh, just from an overall takeaway perspective before we actually get into the second round stuff. Starting off. With the very intense shootout between Berrettini and Murray. First of all, great job by Murray. It looked very good early. Then Berrettini woke up. Usually when you win the first two sets and you lose the third and the fourth, it means the first, the guy that won the first and second sets usually cooked and usually see them struggle into the fifth set and they probably lose. Murray hung in there and he did a great job. You thought that after the tie break in the fourth set, that Murray maybe was going to fall apart, and it looked like it for a little bit because Berrettini did have a match point at 5-4-30-40. And then it happened. You had the, I don't know what you want to call it, the backhand, the shanked backhand, whatever you want to call it. But Berrettini had a phenomenal opportunity to win the match. Murray had some type of, I don't know if you want to call it a drop shot or whatever it was. It was a horrible shot. And Berrettini approached the net. Murray basically had to guess. It was a free backhand for Berrettini to ice the match, and he punted it halfway up the net, and Murray ended up surviving that. He ended up winning the match in the Super Breaker 10-6, and Berrettini's going home. 
but props to Murray. Uh, he's had a bunch of injuries, playing on a metal hip, and he survived a four-plus-hour marathon, borderline five hours. I believe the final time was four hours, 49 minutes, and yet he hung in there. But you figure Murray, who's always been a very tough player, mentally, uh, just really just the amount of mental resolve he's had over the years. He's always been a very big rally guy. So you're looking at a guy who's needed to be extremely fit in order to actually succeed. He'd have a bunch of grand slams if Djokovic didn't exist, but at least he got a couple. And he ended up surviving, and he was a little bit lucky that Berrettini, to be honest, kind of choked because that backhand was one of the freest backhands imaginable. But Murray still made Berrettini make the shots to win. He didn't make enough of them, and Murray won. So shout-out to Murray. Wanted to bring that up. Also wanted to give a shout-out to Zverev, who was in serious trouble against Varius. Uh, I know Sam and I discussed why you shouldn't bet Zverev minus the spread because you didn't know what to expect, and you thought he might be a bit rusty in his first 3-5 to match since the French Open, and it didn't look good early. He lost the first set 6-4, ended up winning the second set 6-1, then he ended up losing the third set 7-5. So he's down 2-1, and you had to wonder about the stamina and if he'd be able to survive, and he did. He ended up winning the final two sets 7-6-6-4. He looked sharp down the stretch, Varius, once again, is not exactly known as being a hardcore player. He's mostly a clay player. But still, for the situation at hand, I thought Zverev did a good job. And you have to, when in doubt, survive. Four-plus-hour match, Zverev lived, and he'll live to fight another day. Uh, Looking at everything else, uh, you had the fun match between Bublik and Davidovich Fakina. Not really going to break that down much. We know... Uh, Bublik's a head case, and he punted a two-set lead. Uh, a 2-1 lead, I should say. He lost the first set 6 nothing. So it looked like Bublik wasn't going to show up for the match. Then he did, and Davidovich Fakina ended up uh, flipping the script again, and he ended up winning the final two sets, 6-4, six, 6-3. Six, uh, besides that, is there anything else that I really was totally shocked by? Not really shocked by, but got to bring it up. Quan did lose to Eubanks. I, uh, Sam and I brought up the fatigue angle and why it was a bit concerning to actually bet on Quan or to bet. Oh, Gasquet, I ended up picking anyway because he had at least had a walkover in the semis in that previous match. Quan, I thought he'd win. I didn't want to bet him to win because you always have to worry about fatigue. And he lost in five. Phenomenal match against Eubanks. And Eubanks ended up getting the job done. So shout out to the American. Uh, besides that, uh, you had Warenka, who ended up losing in the first round to Mulcan, had a two set to one lead, and then lost seven six six four in the final two. I can't say that I'm shocked, but I'm just I'm just sad because Warenka was one of my favorite players. He's well past his prime. Will never make a deep run in a major ever again. I've mentioned all these points last year as well. He had a good run there in Basel in his home country last year where he beat Medvedev and had a couple of surprising wins. But in reality, Warenka's playing just to stick around. I think he's in the same spot as Murray at this point. I think Murray's better at this stage in their careers. I don't think either guy's going to win anything in the rest of their careers, but I was hoping Warenka would win just because he's one of my favorite players. But it's just not going to happen. Warenka's really, really just trying to survive by trying to use a limited movement because he can't move as well with the injuries he's had. He's going to rely mostly on the forehand and backhand. The backhand still looks nice, but when the movement's not there and you got to play against a 
another generation which can move around the court quite well. Warenka's up against it, and Mokan just had enough movement to wear down Warenka, and he ended up winning the match. Uh, so that was kind of my overall takeaways from the first round, or at least the main matches I wanted to mention. Djokovic won handily. While, uh, we were Sam and I were right about the Nadal match. We thought Nadal would win in the end. We thought it would be a bit ugly. Brutal beat there for the spread on the Djokovic match and the and the Nadal match. If you had either Baina or Draper, because I believe the spread was four and a half for the Nadal match. I recommended buying at the five and a half. And it just so happened that Draper needed to avoid either a 6-0 or a 6-1 set in the fourth in order to cover the four and a half. And he lost the set 6-1. So Draper got killed in the fourth set. And if you had four and a half, you got screwed over because of it. If you had five and a half, you still won because I believe he lost by five. The Djokovic match was crazy for the spread because Baina, you're not expecting to win anything. But you're hoping he at least can battle somewhat in the first two sets, and the spread was 11. So just keep it close, and you'll go from there. And then he didn't keep it close, because Baina lost the first two sets, 6-3, 6-4. You're right on pace. So he's down five. You need to avoid a 6 nothing final set in order to avoid losing 10 and a half or avoid pushing 11, and Djokovic won the final set 6-0. And that is really one of the worst beats of the tournament, especially if he had 10.5. You need to avoid losing the final seven games of the match, and he lost the final seven games of the match, which was just absolutely disgusting. So that was the main bad beat I wanted to mention. That was really bad. Uh, besides that, I think that's kind of that's kind of going to wrap it up for the overall first round. But before I should get into the second round picks and breakdowns, I want to take a quick word from our sponsors. WinBet is the official on-one sportsbook of the SportsCam Podcast Network. WinBet is active in a bunch of states, and there are a ton of ways to play and win, including live betting and the same game parlays. The NFL playoffs are here. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. Ready to play? Sign up today and receive a special offer. Bet $100 and get $100 limited to state availability. And of course, if you have the biggest long shot parlay of the week, you get a $1,000 free credit. There's so much to choose from, and all you have to do is head over to sportscampodcast.com slash winbet, so they know we send you the sportscampodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. Offer subject to change terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished recapping what happened in week one or in uh, round one. Most of what happened in round one, because some matches haven't finished yet. But either way, we broke it down, and now it's time to move on to the second round. Starting off with, I'm trying to think of the right format to do. I thought about just previewing a couple of headliner guys and then going through my lock and dog, or kind of going through the same format as the first round, where I just give out a couple of picks and I bounce around. I'm not sure if it really matters. I guess since... It's only me, and Sam's not giving his picks as well. I probably should go through extra matches. So looking at some plays that I do like, uh, starting off with the... I'll actually go with Molkan. I'll look at the Felix match against Molkan. Felix to win in straight sets is around minus 130. Got off to a slow start as he ended up losing the first set in blowout fashion to Pospisil. But then he woke up after that, and he looked very sharp. 
the thing is, Molkan does have a win against Felix uh, back on clay, which doesn't really count for anything because Molkan's a better player on clay. The question is, do I think that there's going to be fatigue issue because Molkan had to go five against Warenka and you ended up seeing Felix go four? I think Felix is good enough to win this in straight sets. The question is, is he going to have a mental lapse where he just doesn't exactly show up for the first round or for the first set or so? I don't think so. I think Felix will probably end up winning in straight sets. I mentioned now Warenka's past his prime and Mulkin ended up beating him. Now, Pospisil is not a great player by any means. Still a good server, though. And that was kind of the story of the match because you just had a bunch of uh, quality service games for both guys. You went to a couple breakers and Felix won. I think Felix probably wins in straight sets. So I don't think there's an upset draw or anything like that. But Mulkin, good player. You might see a tie break in there. But I do think Felix should win that one in straight sets. I'm kind of just going in order based on any matches that I at least want to talk about. One, That's not really an official play for Felix. I'm kind of just scrolling through, seeing some matches that people might find somewhat competitive. Felix is minus 1,100. But at the end of the day, you're looking at straight sets. And I think there might be value potentially at minus 130. Uh, then You have the Nadal match against McDonald's, which I think is extremely fascinating. Nadal is minus 1,100 as well. Uh, you're looking at the spread. It's minus eight for Nadal, plus eight the other way for McDonald. You can probably find an eight and a half somewhere. But McDonald, I watched in that first round. I actually watched most of the match against Nakashima. I thought McDonald re looked really good. And he won the first two sets in breakers. Then he ended up punting the third set. He ended up losing the fourth set in a breaker, but he did have a couple of match points there, and he ended up kind of squandering them. Good serving by Nakashima, though. It wasn't exactly his fault. But then you ended up seeing him win in the fifth set, 6-4. I thought McDonald looked really good. And Nadal ended up picking it up late as he was able to wear down Draper. Draper had some cramping issues midway through the match. Then he was able to overcome those. And it looked like Draper kind of was just spent physically in the late third set, early fourth set onward. I think McDonald's got a shot to make this competitive. I'm not saying that Nadal's going to lose. I'm not saying that. But I do think if you're looking at the overall prices here, I think eight's a decent number for McDonald or eight and a half. I think this match should be competitive. McDonald, I've, I've watched him the last couple of weeks. He had a nice win against Evans. He had a good win against Nakashima, and he kept it close. I, I think that you have to be concerned a little bit about McDonald potentially punting a set or if, or if uh, Nadal found his groove as the match went on against Draper and that might uh, be something he can build upon in round two. But you're looking at how McDonald played over the last couple of weeks. I thought he's looked pretty good. And I think that for a guy who's going to keep the ball in play with Nadal, normally for prime Nadal, that's just easy pickings, and you can just expect Nadal to destroy him. But Nadal did struggle a lot with unforced errors against Draper. The backhand was... Okay, I can't say that it was great. It got better as the match went on. But this could be similar to what we saw in the U.S. Open, where Nadal's able to win, doesn't look impressive. I mean, he lost a set to Fognini, and it looked like a set and a break was going to be a serious problem for Nadal. Then Fognini fell apart because Fognini's well past his prime. But you get my point. The point is Nadal, despite winning matches, didn't exactly look dominant in the U.S. Open. I think that's what we might see in the Australian Open, because he definitely beat Draper, didn't look dominant throughout, and I do think that the real important point of that match was Nadal breaking through in the third set, 
He was up a break, then he gave it right back, and then you had a serious battle there in the back stages of the third set, and Nadal ended up winning, and it felt like that really just sucked the will out of Draper. And I do think that from what we saw, we can expect McDonald to hang around. Now, I could be wrong. Nadal can just come out and smack him. I don't fully see that. I think you will see McDonald keep this close. I've really liked how he's played. I think he's looked sharp. Now, you have to wonder a little bit about stamina with McDonald going five sets against Nakashima on the outdoor courts. But I do think at the end of the day, you're looking at a decent spot for McDonald to make this competitive. And I guess he does have something that might benefit him in a way. I'm not sure what the actual schedule is for the matches that did not conclude yesterday. They're on Rod Laver because it's Nadal. So maybe you can make an argument that they might finish a match or two on Rod Laver. I doubt they would because they finished all the other matches. But maybe if they're backed up on some courts, they might throw a couple of players on Rod Laver for a set just to try to finish it up if they are fully backlogged. And I saw that happen in the U.S. Open a couple years ago when I was there. You ended up having uh, a delay, a rain delay for an entire day that suspended basically all the matches. And then you ended up seeing a couple of matches in between the final match of the day, the featured match. I saw Osaka the year that she... I forgot if it was the year she won, but I saw her beat Kerber, and they ended up bringing out a couple of other uh, matches right after it to just conclude. So maybe you'll see something like that so McDonald can buy some extra time for actual rest. I'm not sure if it's fully going to matter, but I do think Nadal laying eight is a little bit rich when he only covered five against Draper by winning 6-1 in the uh yeah in the first uh winning six one in the fourth set yeah he, Nadal though I think he's gonna win but I think McDonald's good enough to hang around and I think that McDonald plus eight plus eight and a half it's pretty juicy at eight and a half though like minus one fifty five but I do think McDonald can push this one to at least a six four a couple of sets at six four or maybe even looking at a tiebreak perhaps but I like how McDonald's played I think there might be some value on McDonald plus the eight. Uh, moving on to any other matches that catch my eye uh, that I think can be interesting. You got the Tiafo match. Again, Chang. I watched a lot of that Chang match against Atta. A friend of mine actually live bet Atta, and I had nothing else to do, so I decided to watch that match. Chang looked really good. Uh, he's, a, he's a young Chinese player who's a lefty. He looked really, really good. And I think this guy actually could be a future top 30, top 20 guy. I thought he actually looked that good. And I never heard of him going into uh, the first round. But him against Atta, he hung in there. And Tiafo lost a set to Altmaier. I'm sure most people were distracted by Tiafo's outfit in the first round. Not his fault because the Australian Open picked the colors and picked the outfits. Horrible choice. I don't know why they have to go with the extravagant art design or whatever you want to call it. It looked like a colorful ink blot. But still, I do think that you can talk about how the outfits could be a lot simpler and how, you know, you could probably just stick with basic black or bla or basic white if you want to go with the Wimbledon kind of colors. But the Australian Open colors were, or the outfits were hideous. So whatever type of super, it's not even a rainbow. I can't even describe it. It just looks awful. But either way, uh, Tiafo had the shirt with the fancy colors and he had the matching shorts. And that was a bit too much for me personally. I thought that was a little bit much. It looked, I can't even think of a comparison. 
it looks like something I would have seen in like a 1980s workout video, kind of. If you know what I mean? Like, it, it's not the same idea, but it was really just not great. It was not too flattering. But Tiafo won. He won in four against Altmaier. Shang, though, I think can actually keep this match quite competitive. I like what I saw from Shang. The serve might not be great, and Tiafo might be able to exploit it. But Shang rolled through qualifying, uh, ended up uh, beating a couple of... Uh, he ended up beating a couple guys ranked in the hundreds, beat... Uh, Morozin beat Verdasco and beat Piros and then ended up beating Atta. He looked really good. I, I think that he can hang with Tiafo. I, I really think Tiafo is going to be an upset alert. Plus 520, I think, is actually a ridiculous price for Shang because I watched him. I thought he looked really, really good. But six and a half games, we know Tiafo's a bit of a head case. It looked like he was going to cruise against Altmaier and then suddenly had back to back tie breaks, which seemed to come out of nowhere. My issue is going to be Tiafo's mental toughness because we've seen him struggle at times. He might make matches more interesting than they need to be. And I think Shang could definitely win a set. I think he could win beyond that. And I think that Tiafo is going to have to be careful because Shang looked really good. And I do think that guy has a lot of talent and people might know him in the future because from what I can gather, he looks like he's a future player who could potentially be in the top 50. Uh, of course, you know, you could argue that I'm overreacting because it was one match. But from what I saw, his skill set really looks like it could translate to some success on the tour. And he kind of reminded me of Quan in a way. I, I saw a lot of pace off the forehand side more than you'd expect. The serve isn't amazing, but it was good enough. And the movement was solid. I, I saw some Quan in his game, and I think that he can become a solid player. But I think as of right now, he's undervalued. I, I think Tiafo is a very good talented player the issue is i don't exactly trust his mental toughness but i think that shang could keep that match relatively competitive uh looking at some other matches i might be interested in uh what else do i like uh you have laheka against eubanks i like laheka there i was wrong about that pick i thought th that that would be a competitive match between laheka and chorich uh, that's why i like the over and laheka killed them eubanks had a four set i had a five set marathon against kwan i think laheka wins that one I just think Laheka is a bit too fundamentally sound for Eubanks, and I think that four or three and a half even at like a minus 140 price I think is worth something. So I don't mind Laheka there. Besides that, is there anything else I'm tempted by? The, the Lestien match against Nori is interesting because they both play similar styles. I'm not sure if I want to take anything there. Nori's minus 950 on the money line. Uh, the over-under is 32. I'm not sure I'm sold on anything there. Maybe you can make a case for Lestien to win a set, but I'm not totally sold on that one. Uh, what else am I interested in? Um, you had Korda, who ended up winning in the first round against... Uh, who was he against again? Uh, Garin. Uh, he didn't look great. He lost a set in there, 6-1. Uh, but he's going up against the likes of Watanuki, uh, who I thought was pretty good in the first round. Korda is a, is good. I think he should be so much better. I just don't trust him enough. There's too many unforced errors, so I have no interest in that match. Anything else I'm really tempted by? Um, looking at everything else, uh, well, Sam and I got what we wanted. We got J.J. Wolf against Schwartzman, uh, which we thought would be a battle of our long shot outrights. Wolf got there in, I believe, four against Thompson, and Schwartzman got there in four against the qualifier. 
Schwartzman match was competitive. He the one set he lost, he actually blew a five nothing lead in the tiebreak, and I was wondering if he might fall apart. He did not competitive match, but Schwartzman ended up winning. Brooksby Rude is a hell of a match in the second round, and I think that that could go either way. Brooksby struggled in the first set in his match, then woke up and absolutely dominated. But I do think that match could be very interesting, and I think it should be competitive. I think Brooksby might be live in that one. Rude's the better player. He has more firepower, but I do wonder if Brooksby can really make it a marathon, and you might see a bit of a four or five setter there. Kind of a similar thing with Tommy Paul and and, uh, Davidovich Fakina. Paul, I think, should win. I think three and a half is a bit low, but Fakina's been good to start the year. He's had a couple of good performances. He ended up beating, I'm trying to remember who it was, Felix? Was it Felix uh, in one of the tune-up tournaments for the Australian Open? Ended up beating Bublik in five sets. I have questions about the stamina because Tommy Paul had a straightforward straight set match and you ended up seeing uh, Fakina really battle for his life in that five setter against Bublik. So I do think that there's some value on Paul at this overall game price because Fakina might really struggle with fatigue and I think that's going to come back to bite him. But looking through it, uh, Davidovich Fakina ended up, let me just pull up the matches. So he did not beat Felix. That part I made up. He did beat Nakashima and he beat Milman, but he lost to Batista Agut. So he had a couple of nice wins there, beat Nakashima, beat Milman. Uh, I don't know who I'm thinking of that ended up beating Felix in the first round of one of the two and up matches. But the point is Fakina has been pretty good to start the year. And I think that people might expect him to remain competitive and expect him to battle, which he's always going to do. No matter what, Fakina's going to lay it on the line. You know, on clay, he's gonna, his shirt's going to be covered in clay because he dives around on the floor all the time. But I think Tommy Paul's a bit too fundamentally sound for him, and I think he'll end up winning by wearing down Fakina probably in the fourth set. Uh, the match I was thinking of was Papyron, actually. Papyron ended up beating Felix, so completely unrelated. I just kind of was trying to remember who it was, but I had to look into it. Um, anything else I'm kind of tempted by? Um, just looking at what can be competitive, I think Evans should not be seven games a seven-game favorite over Charty. I think that's a little bit rich. In the head-to-head, they're very competitive. And Charty did a good job in round one. He ended up having to battle a little bit, but Charty was able to wear down his opponent and eventually win in four as he was able to beat Galan. Galan's not a great hardcore player, but of course he had that Sitsipas victory in the U.S. Open. I thought I thought Charlie looked good, though. But now Evans, who has not been playing great tennis to start the year, ended up getting by Bagness, lost a set there. Bagness is also a clay court specialist. But Evans lost to McDonald, and he played the United Cup and basically went over, ended up beating Ramos Vinolas in three. Ramos Vinolas isn't a good hardcore player. But I do think Charlie could give him a run for his money. And you look at the head-to-head, very, very competitive. I believe they're tied 3-3 in, in the head-to-head. It's either 3-3 or it's 2-3. But let me just pull this up really quickly. Um, the point is, Charty has had success against him in the past. And I'm not exactly sold on how Evans has played. I think 7 is a little bit rich. It's actually 3-1, according to the uh, scores here. They played in 2021 in Doha, and Evans did win, but Chardy did win a set 6-1. They played in qualifying as well one time in 2019. So I guess it's technically uh, 3-3 if you include some of the qualifying matches back in 2018 and 2019. But 
they've played each other a lot. And I think seven might be a bit rich because Evans was dropping a set to Bagnus, and Bagnus is a horrible hardcore player. I think Charlie's forehand is going to have to be great in order to dictate this match, but I think that he can do enough to keep this close. I think Evans will win, but I do think Charlie plus seven might be worth a look. So, yeah, I'm looking at a lot of underdogs. I think that you're going to see a pretty interesting and competitive group of matches. I think you'll see the favorites probably win most of them, if not all of them. But I do think the underdogs might be a bit mispriced here, and that's kind of why I'm looking at some potential value plays with regard to the underdogs in some second-round matches. But I think that's going to wrap it up for the actual just overall breakdowns. And now it's time to get into the lock and dog segment where I'll give out my favorite two plays, one being a lock, obviously, and one being a dog. I skipped a couple matches. I'm sure some of you might want me to talk about if you did. You might have wanted me to talk about if I did. I apologize. But at the end of the day, I was kind of just looking briefly at matches that I had immediate takeaways on, and that's kind of why I went through those first. So starting off with the lock, I am going to go... What exactly do I want to do for the lock and dog? Because I'm kind of tempted by one of the underdogs that I briefly went through the match uh, matches, and some of them might be standing out to me. I think I'm going to go Tommy Paul, and I'm going to take the minus three and a half games at minus 115. I can't get past the fact that Fakina is still... He's a very explosive player, for better or worse. Tremendous strokes, tremendous talent. The issue is he's not afraid to blow up. And I think with Paul's consistency, his willingness to rally, you'll see Fakina's level maybe start off well and then immediately plummet. I think that you'll see him uh, him being Fakina potentially implode throughout this match. He's had issues with stamina in the past, especially after a five-set marathon where the other guy was on the court for about two hours less. I think Paul's in a very good spot to take advantage of a potentially fatiguing player as the match progresses. Three and a half is too short. I think that Paul could win a set 6-2, maybe beyond that. I do think that Fakina will be competitive to start, but I think Tommy Paul wears him down, and I think three and a half is a good price. So my lock will be Tommy Paul, minus three and a half against the Fakina. And for my dog, I think I'm going to go to an alt spread. I'm going to go with Mackenzie McDonald, I'm going to take him plus seven and a half instead of the eight, and seven and a half is even money. I like it. I really think that match could be competitive. McDonald looked really good, and I think that he can give Nadal something to chew on. I think that Nadal is going to have to struggle a bit. He might break through, but I do think that McDonald, based on what I saw in that first round, he can play some seriously high-quality tennis, and I feel like Nadal was able to survive against Draper, didn't look great, a lot of unforced errors, just didn't look sharp enough. And it really reminded me of the U.S. Open run that he had. I, I think that Nadal's going to survive, but struggle. And I think you'll see McDonald hang in there. You might see a couple of 6-4 sets to keep it close. Maybe even a tie break. Maybe McDonald even wins a set. But I do think seven and a half games is a good price at even money for McDonald to give Nadal something to worry about. If you wanted to go for an outright money line pick, because, I mean, that's kind of a cop-out, me picking an even money pick as a dog on the spread. If I had to pick an underdog that I think could give serious, I'd say, threats to the favorite and potentially win the match, let me just see quickly what I do like the most. Um, What am I looking at? I think there's some value on Shang against Tiafo. I think Tiafo is going to win. 
But Tiafo historically has not really done well in the Australian Open. He made a deep run about three, four years ago, which I mentioned to Sam in the outright episode. But he's not done well historically, and I kind of wonder if that means he might be on a bit of an upset alert there, so keep an eye on it. But if you want to go for a realistic, non-serious long-shot up underdog, so Shang is my long-shot underdog. Um, I don't think Charity's going to win, but they can keep it close. What else am I looking at? I guess I'd have to pick Brooksby. I, th- I think Brooksby's got a pretty good shot against Rude. I just think you'll end up seeing a war break out. Brooksby turns into a brick wall, and you'll see a lot of breaks of serve, a lot of up and down play. And I think that he can potentially get the job done. Maybe is if you want to also throw in Bonzi against Karenia Busta, you can make a case because Bonzi made the final of the tournament. He won the first round pretty, I don't want to say easily, but he looks sharp. I think he can give uh, Karenia Busta a run for his money a bit if Bonzi's serve is on point. But I think those are my main two. And I think you should see a lot of entertaining matches in the second round. So once again, my lock is Tommy Paul, minus three and a half games against Davidovich Fakina at minus 115. And my dog will be Mackenzie McDonald, plus seven and a half games against Nadal at even money. That's been this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. You can also find me on the NBA Gambling Podcast, the NFL Gambling Podcast, the Propcast on occasion. Of course, the Tennis Podcast, which will be back in about two days going through the third round. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.